What a beautiful name it is, indeed, the name of Jesus. This morning I'll be reading from the New King's James Version, starting with Hebrews chapter 12, 1, and reading through verse 17. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against him, self, Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it, we, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands with, <clears throat> which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. So what, is, <clears throat> so what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many may become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one moment of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for your love, and we pray that our eyes and our ears will be open when you speak to us and chasten us, For, Father, we do need chastening from time to time. Father, this morning I pray that you would be with Jackie as he brings us this spoken word. We pray that you would lead us and lead him and guide him. 
Open our hearts and our mind that we would be receptive. And we give you the praise and the glory in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As me. Sorry. The on-off switch is so tricky these days. After all this time, I think I could remember on. So we come to Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, we spent several weeks. Last week, we did the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12 and considered the concept of the vision. The, the Lord God is calling us to run with endurance a race. We talk about the idea that we all have a race set out before us. We all have a responsibility to, to run that race. It is not me against you. It is me against myself. It's my race. It's your race. And so we need endurance to run that. And as we look this morning at this section down through verse 17, there's a, the common denominator throughout this is, is learning to have the endurance that we need in order to run the race that God's calling us to run. We looked at verse 1. It said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we have the picture of a race, grandstands, people in the crowd. That crowd are those who have gone before us, who have run their race. They've finished their race. And what they're saying from the crowd, what they're saying... From, from being in the grandstands is that it can be done. It can be done. This race of faith, it can be won. Even in the most extreme circumstances that we can know. Because there are those who have run before us. We can read all about it in chapter 11. We can read about their struggles, their victories, how God was with them, how they endured. We can see the two categories of people, those whom the Lord delivered and those whom He gave strength and didn't deliver. The second being a group gifted to the church so that they could see the beauty of their faith lived out all the way until these all died in faith. They finished their race. They accomplished their goal. So He challenges us, lay aside the weights, right? The question is not, is this sin or isn't this sin? The question we need to ask ourselves, we talked about last time, does this help me run? If it helps you run your race, pile it on. If it doesn't help you run your race, set it aside. We need endurance. It's a long race. And we want to be able to finish that race well. We also want to get rid of that sin that so easily ensnares us. The one that clings to us. The one that holds to us. Now, I'm of the mind that this can be different for different folks, right? We all struggle with the same sin. So sometimes we got issues, right? We got a thing. There's that, that voice that nags at us that, that wants to pull us back away from where we are able to be uh, used by God in the best way. And so that voice is drawing us away. He says, cast off that sin. And we know we're doing battle, right? There's a great practical way to do that, guys, that we learned from one of David's mighty men. One of David's mighty men, when he was fighting a giant, he decided the giant came at him with a spear. He took the spear away from the giant and used it on him. 
And the purpose of that is, whenever the devil comes at us using that weapon, that sin that so easily ensnares us, the one that clings to us, then that's when we need to turn around and use it on him. What do I mean? That when I have that whisper, when I have that thought, I need to run straight to the Lord. Back in the, in the early days of my life, when I'm trying to get on track, my life on track, I still utilize this practice. Whenever those things would come on me, I'd pull out a phone. Or, but then those days I didn't have phones, didn't have Bibles. They have Bibles on them now. I had a Bible in my pocket I could pull out and, and do it. But now you have it right on your phone. I'd pull it out, I'd open it up, and I'd start reading. As soon as the thought came, not after I was already headed for the bottle, not after I was already headed to go over and do or participate in whatever thing I'm trying to lay aside, but the moment the thought came, the Scripture says to bring every thought captive in Christ Jesus, I'd go straight to the Word and read the Word. And I didn't stop reading the Word until the thought was gone. And when I did that, God gave me deliverance over the sin that so easily ensnares me. Now, the, the bad news is there's usually another one right behind it. Right? It's a constant journey, but I had already learned the practice that gave me deliverance. You get what I'm saying? So the sin may change, but my deliverance was the same. Take the weapon away from the devil. You give me a temptation, as soon as you give me temptation, I'm running to the word. So I'm telling the devil, give me a temptation, I'm running to the word. I'm taking the weapon away and using it on him. We have need of endurance to run the race that is laid out before us. So we've got to get rid of those things that impede our progress, right? Whatever's in the way. And we've got to deal with that sin. We've got to deal with the sin. Christ died. The power of sin is broken. You know that, right? Sin has no power over me. The power is broken. All sin can do is I have to give in. I have to give in. So the Lord says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Everybody has temptations. Agreed? But the Bible tells in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but with the temptation, what does God give us? A way of escape. A way to not allow our minds to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. How do we transform? By the renewing of our minds through the Spirit, through the Word. We go to the Word, in the Spirit, God will grant us deliverance. This is the key. The key to having endurance. Laying aside those weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us. But then look at verse 2. The next part. Looking unto Jesus. Where do we keep our eyes? Yeah, Paul said, I keep my eyes on the prize. Now here's our problem, guys. We, we This last weekend we had a leadership conference. It was really good. In fact, if you wanted to hear the things that we talked about, hopefully they'll be up on, on the internet. You can go up there and take a listen. But one of the things we talked about was the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. Everybody knows that, right? And we think oftentimes the most dangerous place in the 23rd Psalm is when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But what we talked about was that's not true. The most dangerous place is when you're in that pasture with the beautiful grass and the still water. And the danger is that you fall in love with the grass or you fall in love with the water and not with your shepherd. And sometimes that's the problem. That's what binds us up. We start falling in love with the good things God gives us. Does God give us good things? Praise God. Hallelujah. He does. But if we start to fall in love with his gifts, then when, then when we go through times where we don't have the gifts, we're like spoiled children, whining at God. What's going on? Where's my 
pretty grass? Where's my cool water? What's, what's going on? Don't you love me? But in the 23rd Psalm, it said, I'll give you those times, but you're also going to spend times through the hard valley. You're also going to spend times in that place. And in the 23rd Psalm, that's when the psalmist looks in the first person at the Lord, calling on his name and says, you are with me. I will fear no evil. You are with me. So what's the key? What am I talking about? We've got to look to Jesus. Our focus has to be our shepherd. Our focus has to be him. If your prize for heaven, I have, I have people I dearly love in heaven. They beat me. They, they finished their race. They got to heaven. And I expect to see him. But the one that I want to see most is Jesus. Jesus has got to be the prize. If he's not the prize, then you're in love with the grass. And you're going to struggle because you have to have the good things in order for your walk to be where it needs to be. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? He is the one who has begun it and the one who will finish it. Now, uh, last time I, I didn't get a chance, we were, we were kind of pushed for time, but I just want, to un- want you to understand, here in the verse it says he's the, the author and the finisher of our faith, or depending on what version you have, same ideas, that, that when we look at it, it's not our faith. The word there is the definite article. He is the author and the finisher of the faith. How there is any faith. Hopefully it's our faith. But how there is any faith, how there is any reality, any, any hope of salvation, Jesus is the one who authored it. Jesus is the one who finished it. Yeah? When he died on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. Paid in full. It's completed. Now the reality is three days later when he rose out of the grave, we knew that the words he spoke were true. Because he rose. He rose. Death had no hold over him. He rose from the dead. So we have to keep our eyes on him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. It says, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is the reason he endured? For the joy set before him. That word for, a little word, right? For? That little word for means in the stead of. He took our place, he took our place because of the joy that was set before him. That joy relates to you and I. It's not some thing about pleasing his father or pleasing himself. It's you. You're the joy. Personally, individually, you are the joy for which he endured the cross. Now, he despised the shame, right? It's not like he, he, he thought this is a really cool thing to do today. He wasn't... He wasn't stoked on that regard. What he was stoked about was you. The the opportunity for you to spend eternity with him for the sake of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Now there's that concept again. We have need of endurance in our race. So we look to Jesus. What's the picture? He endured the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. Is there a formula here for us? That we endure our race for the joy set before us? What's our joy? What's your joy? If it's the grass, you're in love with the grass, you don't want to run. If you're in love with the water, you don't want to run. If you're in love with Jesus, you want to run. You want to get to Him. You want to see His face. He despised the shame, but nonetheless we see Jesus Christ submitted to His King. Submitted to His King. 
Yes, Jesus is God in the flesh. The Father is God on the throne. But Jesus submitted himself to the to God on the throne. He said, yes, I'm going to serve you. That's an important thing if we're going to run our race. Because if you can't do that, you're not going to run. If you cannot submit yourself to God on the throne, who's running your life? You really think it's all your decisions? Do you really think that? You got that much power and control? That's really good. You know control's an illusion, right? You know control's an illusion? I'm pretty sure I'm in control every time I get on my motorcycle. But you know what? Every once in a while, I'm not in control. And usually, if I'm not in control, I got to pick myself up off the ground. Then I got to find somebody to help me pick up a bike. Because it's heavy. Controls an illusion. Man, I, our lives are to be lived out in submission to our king. Psalm 23 begins with the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Is that true? If the Lord is your shepherd, then that means who's in charge? The Lord is. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Is the Lord in charge? Jesus gave us the example, didn't he? The garden of Gatsmone. Nevertheless, your will be done. Your will be done was what he cried out. And so he went to the cross. But what happened? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. The, right, the seat on the right hand is a seat of power and authority. What did Jesus say at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? All authority has been given to me. Those are in words in red, by the way. All authority. How much authority is all authority? Is it somehow most uh, 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 smidgen? Whenever we mean all, do we say smidgen? No, we say all. All authority has been given to him. Where? That's the next phrase. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who's Jesus? How can he have all authority in heaven? Yeah. All authority in heaven and on earth. And the next phrase is, go therefore. Because I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Go. Make disciples of every nation. This is a call of Christ, the example of Christ. He is seated at the right hand of God. So look at verse 3. So consider, think deeply about him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. For you have not yet resisted to the point... Of shedding your blood. He's saying, look, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, it will keep you from being discouraged. Because sometimes if I keep my eyes on my life, I go, you know, my life is really hard. And you know, you might be right. But you won't feel that way if you look at Jesus. It's hard to look at Jesus on the cross and say, my life is really hard. It's hard to look at the sacrifice that he made and have that attitude. So it's hard to find yourself in discouragement when you consider him. Think deeply about Jesus because he shed his blood for you. That's the concept that he's laying out for us. Consider him. Think deeply about him and the things that he suffered in bearing our sin. For we have not yet resisted in the bloodshed. And certainly not you and I. Not here. We don't have those kind of struggles. So then, as he's moving from this, the call. Here's where you keep your eyes in your race. Keep your eyes on the prize. You run. Jesus 
is the prize. We keep our eyes on Him. I run the race. And then He gives us the exhortation as to sons or children. Here's what it says. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. So Bible saying, it says, okay, now, as we're running our race and we're keeping our eyes on Jesus, we have need of endurance. Now we need to remember we're God's kids. And because we're God's kids and God loves us, He's not afraid to whoop us. Somehow we got this idea in our world today that if we discipline or correct somebody, it's unloving. And people like to throw around this phrase that I would like to strike out of the vocal cords of every human being. Why are you judging me? Why are you judging me? Look, I ain't got to judge you. We sit down and open the Bible. Look what it says right here. Oh, Malachi. God hates divorce. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you what the Bible says. According to the Bible, that's love. Love seeks to correct. How about this? I'm not judging you. The Bible says husbands love your wives. How? Christ love the church. I'm not judging you. The Bible says it. What's the matter? You don't want to hear it? I thought the Lord was your shepherd. If the Lord is your shepherd, aren't those his words? In fact, when Jesus said, feed my sheep, isn't this what he's talking about? This is the food? What if you go to a child and you say, children, obey your parents. Oh, why? Why do I got to obey my parents? Well, here's the simple reason. Your shepherd said so. Obey your parents parents the point is there is correction and chastening that comes from the lord and that correction and chastening is a sign that god loves you that god won't let you run down that road the proverbs lays out for us uh proverbs 3 11 and 12 says my son do not despise the lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the lord reproves him whom he loves so if god is correcting if God is, is chastening, changing our direction, it's because he loves us. I used to tell kids when I coached, I, I'm telling you what's wrong because I care about you. I give a rip about me. You know, nobody, I, I don't have no sign up in a gym somewhere talking about how great I am, how many championships we went to. No, what's this on the, on the banners that are hanging in the gyms, the names of the kids. That played. Not about me. It's about them. But because I care, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. Now I had a lot of kids whine and cry. Oh, you're always picking on me. They whine and cried enough, I stopped. All right. Do what you're going to do. I don't care. I'll coach these kids. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he reproves. He corrects. Sometimes we get weary, downcast. Oh man, I always feel like, a, you know, that that's such a downer. Go to church and I, and I hear these things and my life ain't right. Well, that simple fix for that. Repent. How hard is that? Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. Forgive me. Now let's go on. Stop trying to wallow in your sin and say it's okay. Oh, what's the big deal? Everybody's doing it. And that's not a requirement in the Bible, is it? Somewhere in the Bible, everywhere in the Bible where it says everyone's doing it, it was always bad. 
Wasn't it? Oh, man. And then there was some severe trouble right on the heels of that. So the Word of God tells us, man, God's going to correct us because He loves us. It also reveals the reality that we have a relationship with Him. Isn't that what the Word is saying? It says in uh, verse 7, For it is, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline. You have to endure. you got to keep going. you got to keep running. God will correct you on the run. You ain't got to stop. You ain't got to sit down in a lazy boy, take a day off, say, I'm not going to run for the Lord no more today. Keep running. Don't worry. He can discipline on the fly. Isn't that good news? Oh, man, I thought I, thought I could finally get a rest. You can. You ever read the book of Revelation? It says, Blessed is he who dies in the Lord. For he has his rest. So if you're not dead, and most of us are doing okay right now, then it's our job to run. We have need of endurance, running with the Lord. He's disciplined. It's for discipline. We have to endure because God is treating you as his children. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? It's important. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate and not his children. If God don't discipline you, you're not his. Now, let me back up. Remember I said in the beginning, the Lord is your shepherd. And everybody says, yeah, the Lord's my shepherd. So what do the sheep do to the shepherd? Well, last I checked, they follow him, huh? Well, the Bible says in John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, right? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. But if they're not my sheep, what happens? If they're not my sheep, they don't follow me. They do their own thing. So that's my question. It says the Lord corrects all those who are his sons. All those who are his children. If you can't accept the Lord's correction, then maybe you're not his kids. Because if he's your shepherd, and you're his sheep, then you're following him, right? Right? Isn't that supposed to be our goal? That's why Jesus, when he came to all his disciples, he said the same thing to every one of them, didn't he? Come follow me. Come follow me. We have the same encouragement from the Apostle Paul, don't we? Paul says, imitate me as I Imitate Christ. Paul's saying, I'm following Christ, you follow me. This is how sheep move, right? This is how we go. If we're someone's children, if, if, if I am my father's child, then I receive his discipline. And if I don't, or if he doesn't discipline me, then the word is saying, well, you're not his kid. Because the Bible says, the children whom a father loves, he disciplines promptly. It's an important thing to learn. It's an important thing for us to have down. That we understand that, man, this is showing our relationship to God. And then it also reveals our need of submission. Look what the next verse, in verse 9, it says. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So if we've shown respect and submission to an earthly father... If you haven't, then you better start there. And then, if you have, shall we not show more submission and respect to our Father in Heaven? 
One of the most important things and I was talking about last Wednesday that we can ever teach our children is how to submit. In our current world today, the world does not understand submission. I can see it every time I turn on the news. Every time somebody says, uh, does something, you know, I don't, whether you like Trump or don't like him, doesn't give you the right to run around in town, bust windows, tip over cars, and act a fool. You don't have that right. That is not a protected right in the Constitution. In fact, I have a right to protect myself against your stupidity. You don't get the right to do that. Now, why is it like that? Because fathers did not teach their kids to submit. One of the important things for Kathy and I when we disciplined our kids was not so much the spanking, and we spanked. We went through the whole Dr. Spock thing for a while, though, huh? We've got to be honest. My wife became a Dr. Spockian. You know, we're going to look at them with crossed eyes and work all that stuff out. And that, that lasted about a week and a half, and then the whoopings came again. But one of the things we decided was very important in discipline was that our sons, we had all boys, submitted to the discipline. So that meant if, if it was a whooping, you, you're going to assume the position of your own free will, and I'm not going to make you do it. But you will do it. You will submit. You will receive your punishment, and we will go on. And as a result, my kids learned to submit to authority in life. Because yes, your teacher has authority over you. So, shh. Listen. Do it. School don't last forever. That police officer who pulled you over has authority over you. So follow instructions. It's pretty simple. You don't have to get beat with a billy club. Submit to authority. Now here's why that's important. Because one day, that same person, that child, that boy, that girl, is going to need to learn to submit to God. And we have a problem in the church today because people don't want to submit to God. They take the Bible and they chop it up in pieces and they say, Well, I think Jesus said this, but he never said that, so we don't got to listen to it. Well, I think Jesus said this or that or the other thing, but we're going to chop it up and we're going to cut out the pieces we don't like and we're going to throw those things away. And all I have to say is if you do that, Jesus is not your God, you are. Because you're deciding what parts should be there and what parts aren't instead of him. Well, what do you mean, Jackie? Didn't Jesus say, not one jot or tittle from the word will pass away until all have been fulfilled? Did Jesus say that? Okay, so if you're chopping a piece of the Bible and throwing them away, then you're telling me Jesus lied. Well, I would rather stand on Jesus' side and say, you know what? He delivered the word to us the way we needed the word. We got what he intended us to have. It's all we need. And it, it's a call for submission to God. It's enough that God said it. It's enough that God said it. It's enough for me. The word of God is to change me. Not the other way around. I change the word of God. By what authority do I do that? Last I checked, there's nobody on earth who was there. Is there anybody left? What about, what about Bart Ehrman? Was, was he alive when Jesus walked on the earth? Nope, most of you guys are going, Bart who? He's a critic. Biblical critic. Who talks about all the things Jesus didn't say. And I scratch my head and go, Bart, were you there? No? 
But that piece of paper you're complaining about was pretty close. A whole lot closer than you are. The word of God is delivered to us. The same word Jesus said he was going to deliver. Now, if your problem is I don't believe Jesus said that, then you're right. Do what you want. Do what you want. That shall be the whole of the law. Just don't call yourself a believer. That's not a believer in what? That's a believer in yourself. I've seen what myself can do, and so far I'm not all that impressed. I'd just soon follow somebody I think has got it together. <laughs> Jesus Christ, is that, that's where I want to go. So we have to see our need of submission. Where's our submission to? If the Word of God is the authority in our life, then our lives should comport to the Word of God. So if the Word of God says, this is what life's supposed to look like, then I don't have the right to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Are you going to let the Lord correct you or not? Or you really think God just running through your life with a two by four? He gave you the word. Here. You got the instructions. All you have to do is apply them. Apply that word in the power of his spirit. Watch God move and work in our life. There's a call and a need. If we're going to run our race and endure to the end, you got to bow the knee to God. Or you're not going to run. You're not going to, you'll, just, you'll just stand around. The race won't be run. Next we see that it reveals his purpose. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are being trained by it. There's a purpose. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Come on, we know. We know from looking at our own kids. You cannot let a child run without restraint. If you do, there will be problems. Learning restraint is a good thing. Learning submission is a good thing. Having the right kind of relationship with your parents is a good thing. All of these things are good. Why? Because God has called us to holiness. And so he wants us to walk that way. In 1 Peter 15, uh, 1.15 it says, But as he who called you is holy, God called you and he is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Right? Come follow me. That's what he said, right? So be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. The word holy, we, we put some kind of weird connotation with it, right? We, we add our own piles on it. So that word holy means set apart. That's all it means. Be different. Step out from the crowd. You want to step out from the crowd? Walk with Jesus. He is out of the crowd. He's not in the crowd. We walk with Christ. We see that reality. He also told us there's pain involved, right? Oh, man. Oh, so much pain. I wish I had a nickel for every time somebody came to me and said, Jackie, I have found Mr. or Mrs. Wright. They're perfect in every way. The only problem is that they're, they're not a believer. Run. Oh, no, I can change him. Oh, boy. Run. 
Run fast. You're supposed to rule, right? You're supposed to rule over your heart. Your emotions are not supposed to run you. Bible does not say, let your heart lead you. Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. True or a lie? All right. Are, are we in, we follow what God's word lays out, how God's word lays things out? Are we going to come in line? Now that may be painful for a time. Oh man, I was really hoping this was going to go somewhere. Something was going to happen. Sometimes that feels painful for a time. But according to Romans 8.18, it says, I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, it's just a moment in time. Our pain, no matter what it's from or for, is just a moment in time. It is moving toward an exceedingly greater weight of glory. God has something better for you. We're pretty sure we know best, though, huh? That come back to the beginning. Is the Lord your shepherd or not? If the Lord's your shepherd, what do we do as sheep? Follow the shepherd, right? Follow the shepherd, go where he goes. This leads to our future productivity, right? He says we're going to bear fruits of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. That means having a right relationship with God. We're going to be in a right relationship with God because we've been trained by God's discipline in his word and through his word. So what do we see in this little piece? We recognize, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. God disciplines the ones whom He loves. Do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Don't lose heart, for the Lord only rebukes the ones He loves. The Lord disciples those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a child. God wants you to finish your race. So He's going to work in our lives to enable us to do that. Now we're going to see... What we should do then. Well then what do I do? What do I do? I'm, i got to run this race. I keep my eyes on Jesus. There's discipline going on. And correction going on. And I need to allow correction and discipline. To run its, its route in my life. So that I can grow. And become the, the man or woman that God's asking me to be. So then he says. Well we have to rely on the Lord. We have to be strengthened by him. Look at verse 12. Therefore lifting your drooping hands. And strengthen your weak knees. So none of us sitting around going, oh, I can't wait to do this. I'm really excited to run this race now. He says, no, this is what we need. We need to strengthen our hands, strengthen our knees, and make straight paths for our feet. Now, how do I make a straight path for my feet? How can a young man cleanse his ways, Psalm 119 declared, by paying heed to your word? God's word leads us in straight paths. So that what is lame does not become dislocated. It doesn't, it's not put out of joint, but rather it's healed. We strengthen. We need, we need strength. We have to have the strength that we need. We have to put our feet, one foot in front of the other, walking straight. Because thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? The word of God is our headlight. Shows us where to go. You turn off the light, where do you go? Yeah, you're in the dark, wandering around, hoping for the best. Not straight path. Straight path, follow what the Word of God lays out. 
And then in verse 14, he goes on. He says, strive for peace with everyone. Wow, isn't that cool? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Did you catch that? Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one sees God. Be ye holy as I am holy. Now, you think right now, oh my gosh, I have so many things I got to do. No, you got to do one thing. According to Ephesians chapter 2, how do I become holy? How do I become righteous? How do I become blameless? I find myself in Christ. I have to be in Him. Picture Christ as a vehicle. And that vehicle is holy and everyone in it is holy. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you're holy. Well, how do I get in Christ? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says, You were found in Christ when you believed the gospel that was presented to you, put your faith in Jesus Christ, you entered in. You're in a relationship now. You're inside Him. And being inside Him makes you holy. Being inside Him makes you blameless. Being inside Him means wherever He goes. Yeah, if you're in Him, how could it be different? If you're in Christ and, and He's taken this road and you find yourself on that road, there's a problem, right? Something's up. Something's up. Strive for peace and holiness. We find that in Christ so that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No one has to. God's grace is available. Doors open. Come on in. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, 21, Behold, the Lord says, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, what's he say? I'll come in. I'll come in. That relationship is joined. That relationship takes place. So that, so that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. So that root of bitterness, let me, let me tell you how that happens. The root of bitterness happens because you love the grass. Root of bitterness happens because you love the water. And now the grass is gone. And the water has gone. And you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And things are dark. And relationships didn't work out like you thought. And all the good gifts of God were the things and the reasons for which you were following the Lord. And now those good gifts are gone. You know, because God loves you, He shows you your heart. So all we have to do in that place is say, You know what, God, my heart's messed up. Will you fix it? My heart's messed up. I, I want to love all these good things. Don't make it complicated. Submit. It don't got to be overly hard. The only time it gets overly hard is if you go, well, I want to be able to have my sin in Jesus too. Well, now you have a problem. I don't know how you work that out. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Doesn't mean we don't struggle. Doesn't mean, but we're supposed to struggle against sin, not right? Not live in it and try to celebrate it. We struggle against it. If I'm struggling against sin, oh man, that's what it is to be in Christ. If I'm living in sin, I have to ask myself, what's going on? And if my heart is messed up, all I have to do is take that to the Lord, don't I? 
You know that the Lord God says you, you, it's your hardness of your heart, your stiff-necked people. We've heard that before, right? The, the attitude that the Lord had toward the children of Israel. But you know what he promised them in the book of Ezekiel? I'll put in you a new heart. So what do we do? How about you just ask him to do it? God, my heart's screwed up. Would you give me a new heart? I, I, my treasures are everything else, and I want you to be the treasure. Can't we have that honest conversation with God? I can promise you something. Nothing will change in your life as long as you just continue to do the same things you're doing and pretend that it's all good. What is it that God wants? God wants us to, to submit, to be real, to go before Him and ask Him to fix these things. God, fix this in me. Fix this in me. Change me. Work this out in me. Why? Because we don't want to be like the example that we're about to see. Right? Look at the example as he lays it out. We don't want a root of bitterness to cause us or others to become defiled. So that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Everybody knows Esau? Yeah, he's in the book of Genesis. Who sold his birthright for a bowl of chili. He was really hungry. I've, I have been probably close to that hungry before. Like, ah, oh, Will, sell what are, you can have my Harley, feed me. Uh, if you ever hear me say that, I don't really mean it. No, you can't have the keys. <laughs> but I have felt that way. And so what's Esau do? Esau says he sells his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Now, a lot of people get confused with this. Pay attention. As we read it, you have to read what it's saying and not import your own concepts. We have to read what he's saying. So afterwards, he wanted the blessing. But where was the blessing? It was gone. You sold the blessing for a bowl of chili, and the dude actually took it. Jacob, your brother. Blessing's gone. You don't get it. Does anybody have a time machine? No, we can't go back. He could not go back and undo what he did. He couldn't go back and undo the choice that he made. He couldn't go back and, and make, that, make that somehow different. So when he wanted it, he was rejected. I can't give you the blessing, his father said. I'll give you, I, I will give you a blessing, but I can't give you the birthright. Your brother has it now. I can't give it to you. I'll bless you, I'll say this over you, but he could not find it. For he found no chance to repent, no chance to change, no chance to turn around, though he sought it. That word it, if you diagram the sentence, is the blessing. For he sought it, the blessing, through tears. But once the blessing was gone, he could not get it back. Scripture is not saying he could not repent, he could not receive forgiveness, he couldn't. In, in fact, in the story, and you read it in the book of Genesis, is Esau still a son? Still a son. He's just a son without the birthright. There was a blessing. There was an opportunity. There's something, but he, he can't go back and undo what he did. He can't go back and undo and have what he wants to have. Let me, let me bring it around for us. You have a race to run. We just prayed this morning about, about two men who finished their race. There's nothing they can do to get to run any of that again. Race is over. 
Now, my own life, there's probably a few things in my life I, I want to do over over. No, you guys don't have those things where you'd like a do over? Well, the point of the scripture is, stop looking back. It doesn't do you no good. Look forward at Jesus and spend your energy with the endurance that you need to run so that when you finish the race, you're not looking for a blessing you no longer can receive because time was up. I used to tell the kids in football this. Right, you need to decide right now as a freshman what you're willing to give to win the prize. What will you sacrifice to win the prize? You better set that in your mind now. Because it's too late when it's over. It's over, the game's over, we lost, maybe you didn't have as great a, a career in high school as you wanted to have. You can come to me weeping, I wish I would, I wish I would, I wish I would, but I can't do nothing about it. The blessing's over. What blessing are you running for? Who are you running to? One chance in all of eternity to hear simple words, and I promise you you're going to want to hear them. One chance in all of eternity in your life to stand before your Creator and hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Good job. Now on that day, if you sold your blessing for a bowl of soup, if you chose not to run, if you chose to dilly-dally in life and not allow the Word of God to correct you, if you didn't run and finish your race, when you get there, there's nothing you can do to get that blessing back. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about you standing before God and receiving the reward that you so desperately want. So we better get about the running, no? We better get about the living our lives the way we know that God's word is calling us to live our life. Because if one thing age will tell you is you will dilly-dally until you're old. No? Man, I look back and I go, whoa, I went, I went 13 years back. I can cry all day long. Lord, give me those 13 years back. What happened to them 13 years? They're gone. I don't get them back, do I? What if I pray over and over again, God, give me my 13 years back? No. But what do I have? I still got the time I got, yeah? So instead of looking back, where'd I go? Look forward. Who's the target? Who am I looking at? And, and, and I ought to be running with endurance all the way to him, right? Because I want more than anything to be able to hear that phrase. Well done. Well done. I got one life. And I can't do nothing about what's behind me. All I can do is about what's in front of me. Yes? So I need to live this life for that. The prize is Jesus. It's that, that idea, who, he who dies with the most toys has the most garbage in his, in his garage that his kids got to get rid of. And then I've been there. I've seen them all fighting and kicking and scratching and clawing. And you know where it all goes? Thrift store. That ain't the deal. Jesus is a prize. Don't fall in love with the good things. Fall in love with the giver of the good things. And run to win. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have, God, to come before you, to, to allow you, God, to challenge us. God, I, we, ha- we always have a decision when the Word of God is shared. I'm going to receive what the Word of God says. I'm going to go check and make sure that these things are true. And then I'm going to allow it to conform my life into His image. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want my life to change in accordance to what your word declares. That's what life's all about. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as we turn our eyes toward you, as we turn our desires toward you. That we recognize, God, that you are calling us. Lord, that you are directing us, that you are working in and through us, that we are, God, focused on you, Lord, that we recognize that we look at the scripture, the Lord chastens, the Lord directs, the Lord desires for us to run like that coach that says, you got to be willing. What are you willing to sacrifice in order to have what you want, that goal that you want to, that you want to achieve? Then allow these things to correct you. Get online and run. Run. We have our own race. Run your race. Don't put your eyes on the one next to you or start getting bitter about somebody else. Just seek peace with all men and run to Jesus. Because he's the author, the originator of the faith. He's the finisher, the one who has put it all together for you and I so that we can, in the name of Jesus Christ, enter into a relationship with Christ, be in Christ, be found in him. For he has become our peace. He, in Him, we have everything that we need. So we just get in. Get in and run. So that when we look at this great crowd of witnesses who have gone before us, who are saying, it can be done. It can be done. This race of faith, you can run it. You can arrive. You can get the prize. For these all died in faith. They all finish the race. And you're exhorting us, God, that we would run ours. So God, I pray, be glorified. I pray, be magnified in our lives. I pray that men and women in this place today would bow the knee to you. You are my sovereign. You are my God. You are my king. My life is yours. God, I pray that you would encourage us as we 